Okay, back here in studio with uh, House candidate Andrew Gray, Democratic House candidate Andrew Gray. How you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very happy you're here. I've been hoping for a long time to get the podcast. You have a podcast too, East Anchorage Book Club. East Anchorage Book Club. We were just talking about it. That we thought it was funny to have a podcast that wasn't a book club. That so was called when, a book club. When I first heard about it, I thought I was like, I have Landmine Book Club. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, another book club. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then after I like got familiar with it, I was like, this is actually just Andrew's podcast. It's just my podcast. Although, as I was telling you, I'm thinking about making it more of a book club now. So we have Fairbanks author Dan O'Neill doing a series of interviews coming up. Um, and we've, we had Heather, Heather Lindy was our very first guest. So uh-huh. she's an author and, you know, and a former uh, Haynes Assembly member. So we started with an author. and we, well, you, have, you have a pretty good, I mean, a lot of people listen to it. You got animated guests that I, that I like. We'll talk, we'll talk about that in yeah. a second, but you're running for um, one of the three, I guess, three, it's like three open East Anchorage house seats. You're running um, mm-hmm. in the house seat that Ivy Svonholtz is not running, running for. for. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. That's one of the, so there's another um, East Anchorage open seat because Liz Snyder is not running. Mm-hmm. And then there's Donna Mears is running for that with your friend Forrest Wolf. Forrest Wolf, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's actually just an, an open East Anchorage seat because of redistricting. So there's mm-hmm. like a lot, East Anchorage is going to have much different representation next year. Right. So we'll talk about that in a bit, but um, first, I kind of want to talk about, like, you came, I never knew you until maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. You you were kind of, a, you know, frequent um, participant in the Anchorage Assembly meetings. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I first came, I mean, came across you as, as far as, like, in, you know, the political world. Right. So I moved to Alaska the first time in 1998. I had graduated from University of Texas at Austin. Um, and uh, uh, one of my best friends from college, uh, her family was from Alaska. So I kind of had this... I, I'd just been fascinated with Alaska. So I l- literally got in my car and drove as far as I could. You were like 20 something? I was 23. I just turned 23. I moved to Arno 04 when I was 19 from mm-hmm. New Mexico. So mm-hmm. na- Texas neighbor. Yeah. Um, and I uh, I had been an English major in college. I, I, and so I worked at Barnes & Noble on C Street. That was my first job. Oh, and you, after you moved here? Yeah. Well, remember the... Uh, what is it? Border the borders yes. over there on Diamond? Yes, but see, I was I worked I worked at Barnes and Noble, so I was very loyal. So I spent my time at. I, I love Barnes and Noble. I buy, I buy a mm-hmm. lot of books there. But I used to like the. It's been years since Borders mm-hmm. closed. But like one day, all of a sudden, it was just closed. Mm-hmm. <coughs> like out, just out of nowhere, one driving down the oh, Borders is closed. Yeah, I um, I had moved here <coughs> with no plan. Um, I didn't know anyone here. All because of your friend that was here or from here? No, well, you know, and, and I had read Into the Wild and I, you know, I was, I was in my early twenties. I just, I was like, let's just, let's move to Alaska and we'll make it work. So, um, I showed up on a Wednesday. Um, I didn't have a place to stay. I literally didn't know anybody. And you drove? Uh Uh-huh. I drove. Well, I drove to Bellingham and then I took the ferry to Haines, which um, is its own brand of adventure because you get off that ferry with tons of trucks and then you're right behind them and there's like enormous rocks flying up and hitting your windshield. And I mean, it was, it was. That's funny because I moved here when I was 19 Mm -hmm. and same thing. Me I came with a, me and a buddy moved Mm -hmm. up. We drove up the Alcan, but same thing. We didn't know anybody. Right. It was August 04. So it was kind of like, I always tell people the worst time to come to Alaska is in the summer. Cause, cause you're like, oh, this is great, right? And then you know, three, four, five months later, it's like cold snow. You're mm-hmm. gonna, did you come in the summer or the winter? I got here in July. See, same, same like me. Yeah. And um, so there was a club here called the Wave, 
um, on Spinard. And I went on a Wednesday night and there was like seven people there. Like a, like a, so nightclub or yeah, uh, it was like it was like a gay dance club called the Wave. We, the Wave, yeah, it was called the Wave. Never heard of it. Um, and I, there was a couple people there, and you know they were around my age, and they came up and they were like, "Where are you from? What's your pen?" They assume I'm a tourist, and I'm like, "No, no, no, I just moved here." And they were like, "Oh my god, we gotta help this guy." And so within three days, um, I had a place to live. I had friends, like they were including me in all their events. And um, I'm still friends with those people today. So it was 20, like 24 years ago. Uh-huh. And I'm still friends with those people today. Um, so um, Anybody we would know or not? Well, I mean, I know them. Like, are they political <laughs> They're not like, people? No. Public- no. Although I will say that uh, Christopher Constant was here then. And we've talked before about how we had all of the same mutual friends, but our paths never crossed. Mm-hmm. So um, I... Um, I couldn't make it work. Like a lot of young people who moved to Alaska, you know, I worked at Barnes and Noble, but they were making me work at least one Saturday or one Sunday every weekend. And so I couldn't go camping. All all my friends were doing these big camping trips and I couldn't go. So um, I ended up uh, teaching high school in Los Angeles. Like I left Alaska after less than a year and ended up teaching high school in LA. So you were here like a year and then you moved to LA. Yep. I moved to LA and um, taught high school for a couple of years. And then I had a fraternity brother. I, I, I was not happy. Where'd you go to school in Texas? Uh, University of Texas at Austin. Wow, that's like a, that's a big school. It's a big school. Yeah. Yeah. You go to the football games? So I... UT. I did. I wasn't... I, wasn't, I, I mean, I was not a big football player goer. I didn't... I mean, it was, that wasn't my scene. I, I was nerdy. Like everybody's... It seems like everybody in the last several years, I've, I've heard of so many... Famous people, and then just people that I've just kind of know are moving to Austin. Mm-hmm. Everyone like, wants to be in Austin. Austin's awesome. Austin I, seems like it's really. So I moved back to Austin. So really, really quickly. So I ended up moving to Europe. So I oh, did, it did not work out in Los oh, Angeles. Oh, you have some like lot, uh, Estonia, Estonia. Estonia connection. Yeah. I was in Estonia in March, right. and you told me you would mm-hmm. live. You, you, Estonia, by the way, is awesome. Yeah, no, I, had I a love great Estonia. time there. I have a very special place in my heart for Estonia. I lived there for three years, but so yeah, so I moved. I moved to Prague to the Czech Republic. Um, what year was that? That was in. Uh, 2001. So pre 9-11? I, I was in Estonia on 9-11. So I moved to... Uh, Wait, it was Prague first? and then Prague was first. I moved to... This is like getting into the weeds, Jeff, but I moved there like in March. And then I stayed in Prague until the, like through the summer. And then I moved to Estonia. So I had just arrived in Estonia when 9-11 happened. So this is like pre-EU. This is, they're still coming out of yes, the Soviet. Yes, we had like, Estonian crones. Like we had, uh, we didn't have. Um, they're still coming Europe's. out of the Soviet kind of uh, experiment. They're kind of finding their independence, but it was still probably a lot of. Well, Estonia did very, very well because the Estonian language is, is related to Finnish. And mm-hmm. so Finnish, you know, what con- and so a lot of Estonians grew up watching Finnish TV. Children grew up watching Finnish oh, cartoons, so, so, so they speak Finnish. So where else can Finnish people go and speak their native language? Nowhere, except for Estonia. So basically they capitalized on the Finnish tourist so industry. So when I was in uh, Estonia, I was t- talking to some people that grew up there, and mm-hmm. there was a Soviet, and, but they were kind of unique compared to like Latvia, Lithuania, other republics, because they had that TV signal from mm-hmm. Helsinki. Mm-hmm. So because it's like a two-hour boat ride, so they could watch, like you're right, they could watch, they had access to different kind of, media than other mm-hmm. Soviet republics did. Right. So they did really well. So yeah, so I lived in a, 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 
Estonia for three years. I ended up becoming a professional singer there. I was a I was a singer with the Estonian National Men's Choir for. So don't they have that big every five years? Some yes, big music big, fest, like mm-hmm. crazy, like millions of million people. They show do, up. they do. And what's what's sad is I didn't. I my three years were not during that five years. Like well, you missed it. I missed it. I saw pictures. I mean, it's yeah, like it's crazy. hundreds of thousands of people in this little kind of square. Right. Well, so what happened? Um, I moved there to teach English, and um, I had an Australian roommate. And I was like singing. I had I had been a music minor in college. You were singing like opera. Yeah, like- I was like a classical singer in in college, but I didn't think I was very good. I didn't think I was good enough to like do it as a career. So I was just always singing around the apartment. And then he was like, you know, this is Estonia. It's like the singing revolution. There's choirs all over the place. So, um, so not knowing the language very well, I didn't realize that I auditioned for a full time professional choir. But I did. I, I auditioned for a full time professional choir, and they hired me. And so I quit my teaching job. Did it pay much or not? Not a lot. It paid exactly the same as my English teacher job. Um, and they, it's such a cool thing. I mean, there were men in that choir who'd been in that choir for like 40 years. They'd never worked a different job. Like they, they, they'd been, they'd got their, their whole life. They'd gone to choir like traditional, so like German, like we sang, French, Italian. Uh, yeah. We sang in all languages, but predominantly Estonian. We had, there were, there were composers who wrote specifically for this choir. We recorded three CDs while I was there. One won a Grammy for best choral performance for the year. Um, and this is like, it was not on the bingo card. Andrew Gray. Yeah. Well, Estonian, no, Estonian singer. So it's such a weird, and, and, and a weird thing is one of the rules was, is that they, I was not allowed to speak English. So I had, um, because it was their national choir. Did you learn Estonian? I learned how to do Estonian choir rehearsals very well. It is a, it is a strange language. I knew what page we were on. I knew if we needed to sing louder or softer. Um, it was, you know, the bottom line was is people broke the rules because they could all speak English, so they would speak to English to me when when the when the director wasn't it, around. It, it, isn't it? It's a really it's a really odd. Like it doesn't sound like anything. Like kind of like Finnish. It doesn't sound like anything. It's a lot of vowels. A lot of languages like Spanish, Italian. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of it's it sounds like something, but like. You know, same with Latvian, Lithuanian. Like they don't right. sound like anything. Mm-hmm. You're well, the Finno-Ugric language. It's almost more like an Asian language. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I I that was um, I didn't appreciate it. I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. Why did you pick us? I mean, that's like a very random. Well, because place. I lived in Alaska. I wanted if I I was like, well, if I'm going to live in Europe, I want to go north. Um, I want to you know be at the same latitude as I'd been here. So I, I applied for jobs in Riga, the capital of Latvia. Yeah, I've been to Riga, yeah. Tallinn, and um, St. Petersburg in, in Russia. And um, just straight up, I'll tell you, just from the emails that they yeah, were coming, I was like, Estonia had it together, and those schools were on top of it. Um, I could just tell by the interactions I was getting that the school in, uh, in Russia and Latvia were not well organized. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 25 years old. My, so, fir- my first trip to... Europe was in 06 and summer of 06. And I went to like Europe and backpacked mm. in Germany and Austria, Eastern, Eastern Europe, went to Russia. So I actually wrote, I was there a couple of years ago and I wrote, I wrote an article. I got there in 06, which was like right probably at the end of the kind of the nineties, like the crazy, you know, like, mm. you know, just like lawlessness and, you know, like food shortages and just Russia was pretty, same with like Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, all these republics were kind of like, the transition was very difficult in the nineties. Like talk mm. to anybody who was around there. They'll tell you how it was like, crime and oh. lawlessness and you know just all kinds of crazy shit going like lack, lack of food soaring prices um, so we had concerts in st petersburg with my choir with uh esti rafus mezkor is the estonian national mm-hmm. men's choir in estonian and um so and and, and you know 
if I had been an American and just gone to Russia, I would have just gone there like any normal tourist. But because I was going with Estonians, they were like, oh my God, you know, never go outside your, you know, walk in a group of five people. Like, don't go anywhere alone. Make, you know, you know, it's so dangerous. You're going to get mugged. Something terrible is going to happen. And so I kind of internalized a lot of that. So I was really, um, I was really nervous when I was in St. Petersburg. And the, the thing is, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. One of the guys in our in our choir got mugged in St. Petersburg while yeah. we were there. Well, I got there in summer. I was in Moscow first. And then luckily, luckily I had a friend there that lived in Alaska. And it was a friend of a friend. So I had kind of had a person in Moscow that I was hanging out with. But I also went to St. Petersburg. And, and at the time, Moscow, and this is the article I wrote a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. There was like, there was like babushkas on the street, you know, selling like milk and mm-hmm. sauce, like there was, the, there was like prostitutes. There was like the gypsy cabs. Mm-hmm. There was the casinos. Like there, it was just really kind of a crazy, I think it was really towards, like that was the end of the kind of crazy nineties. Mm-hmm. Now you go and it's like, they have like the equivalent of Uber, um, the prost, like all the stuff on the, I mean, the streets are clean. The casinos have been, Putin shut down the casino. Like it's way different. I mean, it's, I can't even imagine. Like I'm sure it's really too. different now. I will say that we stayed in a cheap hotel and then there were women who knocked on the door in the middle of the night asking if you wanted company. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it was. I mean, it's 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 drastically improved mm. from you know after the, the Soviet. That's crazy. You lived in Estonia though for like. So I did, random. and I went. You know, so I deployed with. Uh, so when did you join? Because you're you're in the you're in the National Guard now, but I am. Were you active duty before? Well, or? so if I explain that, so I'll, I'll try to try to jump ahead. So bottom line is is that I didn't appreciate that I was working as a full time singer in Europe and having a really amazing experience. Like every 20 year old or 27 year old or whatever I was at the time, I was like, this sucks. You know, I'm going to, I want to do this, but I'm going to do it in America. And so, um, I, um, I moved back to, uh, I moved to Washington DC. Actually, I had a standby position with the Washington national opera. It never, um, materialized. Like it was one of those things like where it was just kind of like, if the person quit, did you, did you grow grow up in Texas? Where did you grow up up in? I grew up in a small town in Texas. I grew up in Friendswood, Texas. So why, why DC? Was it just the job? Oh no. Yeah. I auditioned for a bunch of, uh, I was trying to get into like professional opera courses in America. So I auditioned in Chicago, Portland, um, DC, um, I, and, that, and so San Francisco. I auditioned for San Francisco opera course. Multiple so you didn't times. get, that didn't I didn't out. get any of those. I got the standby position in DC. Uh, my best friend whose family was from Alaska, actually, she was living in DC. So I was like, well, I have a friend there. So, um, I ended up in DC, but anyway, uh, I, um, I ended up being a full-time yoga teacher in DC. That, and and while you, I was no, trying you, to be a singer, you just did for your campaign. We'll talk about that. I did, yeah, did, I did like a, yoga, a yoga fundraiser. Fundraiser. Yeah. So I was uh, teaching English. I, I was teaching English as a second language in DC. I lived across the street from a yoga studio. I started going there all the time. I had been a competitive gymnast growing up. And so yoga was kind of like, oh, this is cool. This is, you know, it, it was a good fit for me and sort of my athletic background. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, ended up uh, teaching yoga. And I did, I, I, I tried to be a, a, a yoga teacher and, and a singer. For a while, I, I went and I moved to New York City and I tried it in New York and, you know, it was fine. I, I made ends meet for a few years, but my life, you know, I, I could see I wasn't going to want to be doing this when I was 60. I didn't have any health insurance. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what the, how I was going to make my life so work. Was that when you went to join the military? No. So I went to PA school. So I came from a family of medical people. That's a physician um, assistant. A physician assistant. Yeah. So I went, I became a physician assistant. Um, I, that's so different than yoga. And yeah. So um, I'd, I've been really interested in science and, and I'd kind of run away. My, you know, my, my, I'll talk about my family in a, in a few minutes, but uh, I, um, I had kind of rebelled from my family. So. Um, they're like conservative or were they? Yeah, they're super conservative. I want to talk about that. But the bottom line was, is that, I had this interest in science and medicine. And so I, uh, 
I I moved back to Texas. I did my prerequisites. I went back to Austin, did my prerequisites at the University of Texas, applied to five different uh, physician assistant programs, got into Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. So PA is pretty close to a doctor, right? I mean, It is. Uh, so it's kind of like I say, it's like going to medical school and stopping with a master's degree. You, I mean, there's a price for that. Like it's, you don't go to school for as long, but you you make a lot less money than a doctor and you have a collaborating physician. So you, you can prescribe medication. Or? I can prescribe medications. I see my own patients. I treat my own patients. I, you know, I, 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 um, do referrals to specialists. I call specialists. I, I admit patients. Let, let me guess. You joined the military because of your loans. Yes. Because you $170,000. You wanted them to pay for it. I had, well, Obama, I guess in maybe 2014 or uh, it was all, it all happened kind of at the right time. It's like uh don't ask, don't tell was taken away. So all of a sudden something that, that I didn't really think was an option was an option. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know, the army kept their side of the deal. They, so were you work, so you graduated and then joined the army? You, I graduated and joined the army. Yeah. So in 2012, so I, I joined the arm, I joined the California national guard. My first job as a, as a PA was in, it was in California. And then they would forgive some of your loans or pay some. Yeah. Of your loans? So yeah, basically they pay back a, a, a certain amount of your loans every year for three years. And then you get an additional three year contract where they just give the money directly to you. So I was really uh, disciplined about it. So I let them pay for three years. And then when they paid me, I immediately put it all on my loans. So, so pay, you pay them I off? paid them all off. Wow. That's crazy. So I had $170,000 in student loans and I was 30. I joined when I was 39. I kind of, uh, that's like top kind of rule of thumb. Yeah. You're not going to join after 40. So right, right. I was right at the limit. I joined the guard. Um, so you became an officer, right? I, yeah. So you, you go in as an officer and they credited some of my time. I'd been a PA for like a year and they kind of credit that as time served. So I started off as a first Lieutenant. So what do you know? Like a captain or major? I'm a captain. I, so, uh, yes, I'm a captain. Are you going to get current Lieutenant Colonel? I mean, I don't know that the joke is, um, that, uh, so I deployed with the Alaska Army National Guard. Because a lot of it, you have to like do your time. You have to go, go overseas or deploy so, or do certain things. Right. And so I finished my commitment to the military when I finished my deployment. So when I came home, the expectation was that I was going to get out of the military. My family was excited. You know, uh, the deployment, it's a long, you're if gone you a were long California time. Guard, but now you're, did you move, did, to, did you move back so, to Alaska? Yeah. Or? Oh yeah. So I'd always wanted to get back to Alaska. And so I was always checking jobs. And when I first graduated from PA school, I checked for jobs in Alaska. But the problem was, is that they needed experience. They need people with experience. They're not going to take somebody brand new and send them up to, you know, Prudhoe Bay and, mm-hmm. and, and like take care of a, a crazy emergency with no experience. So, I mean, I talked to people. I wanted to move back to Alaska immediately, but I needed to get some experience. So I ended up working in some emergency departments in, in California first. And then um, while I was in the guard, the California guard, and then um, a, a position opened at the Alaska VA. So I, I took a job with the Alaska VA at the beginning of 2017 and I moved back. So you could just transfer from one guard to the other guard? Mm-hmm. It's called IST, interstate transfer. And uh, in the guard, you know, as an M-day soldier, meaning that you just drill on one weekend a month and then do your training time for two weeks in the summer, you are not bound to a certain place in the same way. So I my... I can move to another state and do this interstate transfer. What's interesting though, is that you don't, obviously you don't have as much control over where you get transferred. So I was transferred into an infantry unit. Does the other state have to take you or it's up to them or what? I mean, so I'm not an expert on that. I mean, it wasn't a problem for me when I contacted Alaska, they said they had spots for me. 
um, I had a spot and I got put into an infantry unit and, you know, people said, oh, you're going to deploy. And they were right. I mean, deployment. Where'd you go? Afghanistan or Kosovo? Oh, wow. We deployed what to year? Kosovo. 2019 to 2020. So wow, that's like pretty recent. Very recent. We've never left Do Kosovo. We still even have, I didn't We've really never left Kosovo, we Jeff. I thought that was like over in like the 90s. <laughs> no. No. I mean, it's a, a, an international coalition. So I was going to say, it's probably not just us. It's probably, no. probably, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow, that's like, that's like. It was really an, Bosnia, it, it's like, that's it like was an interesting life experience. 90s mm-hmm. era. We were spread out over three bases and uh, it was, um, it was, a re- it was a very interesting life experience. What did, but, you, what did you, like, what was your, your infantry? I was the medical provider for the infantry. We got spread out like over these three bases. So I, I lived at the middle base and I would travel to both other bases actually pretty regularly. Um, take care of my soldiers. It, it was, um, so when did you, I mean, like I said, I first came across you a year, a year and a half ago, I guess at the assembly meetings. And I remember you were very animated. You'd get up and testify and you'd, right. It was very like, if you were there, when, when you testified before, if you were there, if you were watching, it was like something you wanted, like, oh, wow, who's this guy? Like, I want to watch this. It was very. So I'll tell you what happened. I, um, I, we lived in, we've lived here basically right, right next to your studio since we moved here. Yeah. Cause a few months ago you were knocking doors and I was here and you saw my car speedo, my yes, license plate is speedo. And you were like, I bet that's you. And then you came in for a second. I did. So, um, we, we rented an apartment here, but we really liked this area. And, um, there was, a, um, an older couple up the street that we heard a rumor that they might be moving to Washington state. So I just approached them and said, Hey, I, if you guys decide to sell, I want to buy, I, I want to buy your house. And, um, that's the best way when you can so I did. Yeah, avoid the, but part of the deal was, as they said, well, we go to Campbell park community council. And so, you know, you got to go. So I did. did. Did you know where the community council was at that I point? I did because actually I, I, um, I knew them, I knew that couple and, and I guess I was trying to like get in good with them. So I had actually gone to some community council meetings with them before, um, I made the offer to buy the house. Mm-hmm. So they said, you know, you got to keep going. So I did, and and I mean I don't it's know. Like twenty twenty. So I I, that, I bought we bought it in twenty nineteen. So my um my dad died. We adopted our son. Um, we bought a house, and I deployed all within a four month period. So we bought our Ooh. house, and I deployed to Kosovo two weeks later. That's so cool. it was a great, and then and then a lot. and then Kosovo happened. I mean, not, then, then COVID happened. So we, we you know there's a lot so of drama getting out. You were in Kosovo during COVID. It started while we were in, while we were trying to leave Kosovo. So they c- shut down Kosovo airspace uh, two days before we were supposed to fly to Fort Bliss. So it was a, a how long were you there for? How much? So oh, when we got to Fort Bliss, so they put us out in the middle how, of how the long, Mexican how, desert. How long were, how much I was long were you in Kosovo? I was in Kosovo for well, we we I was I was is a nine month deployment. But like when but you were, Kos- supposed, you were so, supposed to leave two days later. Yeah. So we we our 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 date to depart. Kosovo was March 17th. So you just got to kind of put that into your head. That's like March right. COVID, that's like COVID. That's like, like when it started. Like yeah. in other words, the first time they shut down airports was when we were supposed to leave. So were you stuck there a long time? No. Or? I mean, we got to, we got to basically we lived under the stress that we were going to be stuck in Texas for months or be stuck in Kosovo. But we actually, our timeline was not actually that, ex, that extended. We maybe, we maybe were gone a few extra days. We were not gone. So you came back weeks. to Anchorage right, right when COVID kind of started. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so many funny stories that I'm sure lots of people have, but you know, I was really bummed because my son had just had his spring break extended by a week while I was in Fort Bliss. And I remember being like, Oh man, he got two weeks off and I I'm in Fort Bliss doing nothing. And 
I miss spending all that time with him. And of mm-hmm. course, it's so funny because he, like, he never went back to school. You know what I mean? So like, it tur- turns out it didn't matter. It yeah. didn't matter. It didn't matter. So, okay. So you're Campbell. Oh yeah. So Park. Campbell Park. So community council. So I started going to the community council and I mean, I don't know what your experience was like on community councils, but for us, it's often hard to make quorum. Like, like, you know, and there's not a lot of people going to the community councils, particularly during COVID. So I went to the community council and I, I'm a talker. So I talked to, you know, I, I, I bet you became president. I became, I became the treasurer like at my third meeting and then I was treasurer for a year. Um, and then I became the secretary and, um, I was, I was president of Taco Campbell community council for several years. mm -hmm. And then I was actually on the federation of community councils and I became, I became chair of the FCC for like a year and a half. So I was on Taco Campbell. I was president for a while and then longtime member. And then I became chair of FCC for a while. So Mm -hmm. I've, I've put in my, uh, my time in the community council yeah. world. Yeah, I've gone to some FCC meetings. They're interesting. Are you a delegate? Are you, are you no, a- I mean, I, well, I would, this is such a boring story, Jeff, but yeah, I was going to, I'm not, I'm the, I was the secretary. FCC, I man, I tell you what, I, I, that's when I learned how to run a fucking meeting because imagine having 38, mm-hmm. and it's not always totally full, but people show up to the FCC, mm-hmm. right? So imagine having 25, 30 people in a room that are all community council people that all want to be at, like, these are the people, mm-hmm. the most active people, right? Running that meeting, man, that taught me how to run a fucking meeting, to manage that kind of group and, and be able to like move on and do things. And that was actually a pretty good experience. That really teaches you how to kind of like keep things moving along. Right. So I was on the Campbell Park Community Council when Bronson was elected and proposed the shelter at Elmore and Tudor. The first, you know, because that proposal came out before the, he was the, even sworn kind in. Of the NAV Center thing. The right? Na- yeah. right. I mean, the navigation center and shelter. So before that, had yeah. you gone to like assembly meetings? I had you... ne- no, I'd never gone to an assembly meeting. So I went to, um, the, he had like a town hall and I went and I spoke at it. And, um, that was like in June. Um, and then we were supposed to have, um, who was his first homeless person? Dr. Uh, John, Mor- Morris. John Morris. He was on the podcast. He was. Yeah. I listened to that. So anyway, John Morris was supposed to come to our community council meeting in June, and he no-showed. And um, that really, really bothered me, Jeff. Was it like a no-call, no-show? A no-call, no-show. Like, we didn't know where he was. And, and, and the thing is, is as you know, Elmore and Tudor is inside Campbell Park Community Council's jurisdiction. Whoa. So we wanted to be briefed on this idea, and we wanted to offer feedback. So I decided that I would start advocating on behalf of this area um, so, regarding so, so, that so issue. People could, all, could, could almost say, if, he, if, if Morris would have showed up, maybe you wouldn't have I gotten would, involved in the... None of this would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so, you, John Morris, for bringing us Andrew Gray. So yeah, so I, I started going to assembly meetings. I, you know, my first few assembly meetings, I was just figuring out how things work. I, I just remember vividly, I don't know when it was, but I remember I saw you one time go up and you like... I mean, for the folks who haven't seen you, I'm, I'm sure they have if you're mm. on Twitter. I mean, the videos are out there. But, I mean, you're, like, very, I guess, an, animated, or you're, you're just, you're very um, attention-getting when mm. you testify. People pay attention. You know, it's like you're kind of get the whole thing. So, um, and then you've gotten to it with Jamie Allard a couple times. And, I mean, you, you've been kind of, a, after that, you've basically been a pretty regular member, uh, uh regular um, attendee of these meetings. Right. So um, my friend Yara Silvers and I started Anchorage Action because we felt that there was a need for um, 
it, it seemed like there was, a, as you know, but prior to the mask mandate, you know, craziness that happened, there's just an enormous crowd of people that were, you know, friends of the mayor basically is how it felt. Well, so I mean this, I mean, I was, I remember I was in the meeting. It was Jamie Allard was, I mean, Kathy Hensley was there. A bunch of lobbyists mm-hmm. were there. This is when save Anchorage kind of started right. over at that, um, gold jewelry store on Tudor. This is mm-hmm. probably in summer of 20. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when the save, that's when the, originally right. it was, it was, it was honestly, I, I remember it was, it was a group of business owners who were upset and I actually, um, sympathized with a lot of their um, concerns, right? Uh, the shutdowns and the, you know, the, the impacts on their business. It was basically some lot, like a lot, some lobbyists, Larry Baker was there, some elected, a bunch of business people, you know, Art Hackney was there. He's like a political consultant. Mm-hmm. It was basically, how do we push back and try to have our message about keeping things open, right? Because Berk- they were mad at Berkowitz. Right. And then, it, and then they remember they created the group. They, they, mm-hmm. at that meeting, I was there, I was observing. Mm-hmm. Kathy Hensley was there. She was running for assembly. You know, mm-hmm. there's other candidates there. And um, they were trying to think of a name. And, and somebody had said, there was all these different names. Somebody had said, how about Save Anchorage? I was. I, I mean, was, I, was I hear there. you say I, I that. I but Save was, America is like Donald Trump's but, but, organization, and, and it does seem uh, like it's a part of one piece. But I think Save America. I think that was became later, wasn't it? Because he was still president then. And it was. This was summer twenty twenty. Right. So I mean, so, I, mean I, I remember it could be a coincidence, but I just say like I've always felt that that was quite a coincidence. I mean, I, I'm telling you, it was a long. They were discussing all mm-hmm. these names, and they settled on Save Anchorage, and then they created the group, and then it became. It very quickly became a pretty kind of nasty, mm-hmm. you know, but but originally it was a bunch of business people who were just like pissed off about the shutdowns, and then it, I mean, obviously it grew into something. It became a force, and this is I'd say right. a big reason they, why why, 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 why Bronson got a, and that's Bronson why got became one of mm-hmm. Bernadette Wilson. She was mm-hmm. going, you know, he kind of mm-hmm. became their guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that all happened. You know, I I'm gonna I'm gonna segue. I want to talk a little bit about your um, interview if it's okay with Mayor oh, sure. Bronson from a couple of weeks ago. Um, you're going to, you're going to do a Grace Jane a couple of years ago. Grace I'm not Jane taking over. Podcast, I'm not taking over. She, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, you're interviewing me, Grace. <laughs> but I, I'll just say that um, he said in that interview that there were no surprises. You asked him what it's been like being mayor. And he said, there's no surprises that he knew he would have enemies and that, that the enemies were because there was a clash of worldviews. Mm-hmm, I remember that. Yeah. Um, and I think um, I want, well, I think, I think that enemy mentality is a problem. I think it's a problem in all our politics. But I think that, that you know, not being able to put yourself in the shoes of the other side, um, to not be able to try to sort of think outside your own box, um, is is a a big problem. I mean, po- politics, and I'm re- I'm reading this book now, the rise of the new Puritans, and mm-hmm. talks about a lot of this kind of you know, the, the left and kind of some of the woke stuff and how they want to just you know, cancel people, you know, whether it's food or, you know, mm-hmm. meet, you know, media or sports or whatever. But then, you know, you have the other side too that, I mean, it's like, it's become such a kind of enemy mentality where it's like, you know, you're on their team. I'm on this team. You're on your, that team. It's like, and it, it's, it's gone through every kind of segment of society. It's all because of politics. And, you know, it's become like a win at all costs. And I, I'm not, I don't see them as a person. I see them as the enemy, you know, and mm-hmm. this is really a big, big problem in this country. So now we can talk about my family. I'm from a conservative Republican family in a small town in Texas, outside of Houston. Um, and uh, I grew up with grandparents, very conservative grandparents. Um, my uh, maternal grandparents particularly were very, very religious. So 
lots and lots of church. So did you, I mean, when did you come out like in high school yeah, or I came out in high school, which is I'm thankful for because, uh, I didn't tell my family. I came out to my friends, so um, which was good insulation because uh, one of the first things I told my mom after my freshman year of college, and she thought that it must have been something that happened at college, you know. Um, and I was like, no, 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 I came out before. Um, so were they like understanding, or were they accepting? Oh my God, or were no, they- no. I mean, my mother threw herself on the ground and um, basically started sobbing and like screaming to the sky that um god was punishing her um oh so that was that was that moment no, you you were you were saying <laughs> you were saying before and we we had the yeah. recording issue but your parents were like trump people and your grandparents were very yeah so, so you and and this is what i wanted to, we talked about mm-hmm. um i'm gonna say it again but you were back in april on dan fagan's show mm-hmm. which i thought you know he's a very toxic person but you know good for you for going on but no i felt like i had to but, but, but you have this like kind of insight into, yeah. the, into this kind of very conservative world my of Trump, Trump, you know, mm-hmm. kind of voters or mm-hmm. that, you, you, you know, where a lot of people who are very progressive maybe mm-hmm. have never been exposed to that kind of thing. So some have, but right. you, you definitely have. Right. So um, the reason why I went on the Dan Fagan show um, was that I had testified, I, I presented a petition signed by over 1,200 people at the time, and now it's 2,000, but uh, basically of concerned citizens that didn't want uh, Judy Elledge to be leading the library. Um, that led to a lot of coverage um, in Must Read Alaska and, and the Dan Fagan show. And Judy's a kind of Republican woman, longtime political person. Yes, who was never confirmed by the assembly to run the library. She was appointed as the deputy director. She's the acting director because well, well, they, they made her director and then they couldn't confirm mm-hmm. her. Or whatever. So then they made her deputy director, mm-hmm. which essentially you can mm-hmm. be, be without being confirmed. Right. And, you know, just for your listeners, if you go back and listen to my testimony, um, I, I say that Judy Elledge reminds me of my mother and that I love my mother, but that my mother shouldn't be running a library. I mean, I've known Judy over 10 years. I mm-hmm. like Judy a lot. Mm-hmm. She's definitely kind of the older says things where you're kind of like, you know, you know, you know, I mean, I don't think Judy's, I don't believe Judy's a bad person, but she said things where if you didn't know her, you'd think, wow, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. What I would say is I feel like the library in particular, it should be a welcoming space for all people. Um, and I feel because of some of the really ba- bad posts and, you know, she said some horrendous things. Oh no, she's definitely that, had some some stuff on Facebook over the years. Yeah, that, that, there, that's yeah. not welcoming. If you're one of those people in the groups that's, you know, being mentioned, you're not probably going to want to be in her library. I'm that's just that's just how I feel. So, so before So anyway, talking- so I did that and, and and then and then Dan Fagan well, you know, I'm a dad. I have a child. And Dan, you know, there was talk of um, grooming and they went to this whole thing and Mm -hmm. uh, the implied pedophilia uh, and that stuff. And and, and I just can't allow that to stand. So I went on Dan's show and I'll just say, I felt that we had a really good conversation. It was around April 28th. Um, I was on for a couple segments. Um, He listened to me and we had a conversation. I, I listened to the whole thing. Yeah. So, and, 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 you know, to get back, when I got started with Campbell Park Community Council, it was because I wanted someone from the Bronson administration to come to Campbell Park Community Council to have a conversation with us about Elmore and Tudor. 
And, you know, as we said earlier, John Morris no-showed. So we asked over and over and over and over again. It took one year, one year for them to come. Joe Gerace came. Old Joe Gerace. Old Joe Gerace. And along with Adam Trombley, um, they came to, to speak to Campbell Park Community Council in June 2022. So just recently. And at that time... The message was, oh, and I should say Saxton Shearer was also there. So there was three of them. But they um, said, you know, at that point, the decisions are already made. They're really here to tell us what's going to happen. They're not, you know, nothing can be undone. Too much money has been spent. This is like before Sullivan closed. Before, right before, before Sullivan before, closed. Before the... Uh before the, the, the yes, park, Centennial. the Centennial Park, and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff that happened, and mm-hmm. which I mean, I gotta say, you know, I've, I've been we've done two videos now on the homelessness. We did one in 2019. This is Anchorage. We did mm-hmm. one last year. This is still Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really been involved. I stayed in the Sullivan one night, you know, last year, and it's just, it's just like beyond me how we cannot get this problem dealt with. I mean, nobody can really deal with. It. I mean, I mean. Assemblies, well, you know, Berkowitz, when he was mayor, like he was six years, almost six years. You know, the assembly was very friendly with him back then. And it's just this problem gets worse. And then and then they try to do these like centennial thing, which has basically been pretty much a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I, really fast. I'll just say that there's the visible homeless and then there's the homeless that we don't see. There's the homeless which, that which are is, accessing which is, which services. Is, which the, 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 non-vis- the homeless we don't mm-hmm. see are more... Much, much more. And, and that's a problem too. We need that, to, but, 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 but we've done a lot. And, and so I'll just say that, you know, the purchasing of the hotels, the, you know, the creating places for people to have little apartments and that sort of stuff that's been moving forward. I mean, there are things moving forward. There are things happening. There is hope, I believe. Um, but the, but the, so visible, I think but the visible, say, the visible part is so yeah. bad and it's worse. And, you know, I mean, every day I see something like even here in my bit, I mean, we have, we deal with yeah, problems no. here. We had a guy, who was fucking a few weeks ago was like shooting up and he was like in our stairwell here shooting up. Yeah. It's a problem. It's a problem. And, and, and I'll tell you as some, as a candidate who's door knocking, you know, it is the most commonly, I was going to say, what are you, what are you hearing about that? That that's what people are concerned about. I mean, this, it's this neighborhood. So what you're talking about is, you know, I'm door knocking on you, Jeff. And, and, and I hear these stories, um, which is, you know, that's my platform. I, I mean, I want the state to take a more active role. Um, I want the state to uh, figure out some ways to incentivize home construction, to stabilize long-term rents, to provide more services to those who need it. Let's, let's build that bridge over to Connect Arm and you know build that bridge over there. Guess how many houses are going to get built over there? Well, so I, I, want, that, to, I want that bridge. I, I know you do. Um, I, I, I need to do more research. That's all I'm going to say because I don't. I, I, I've imagine heard a stories bridge. about how much it would cost. Oh, and, sure, yeah. I mean, things yeah. cost money, but I mean, th- sometimes they're great when you build. We build roads and we have ferries and we, you know, we we build right. things and you know, infrastructure is a role of government. Well, so th- to get back to what you said before about how this all got started, it all got started because of this. It's all one piece. You know, me going to the assembly meetings, me doing the door knocking, me being concerned about how the state can play a more active role in so, housing and homelessness in Anchorage and in the whole state, because as you know, you've talked about it. Lots of people talk about it. Not having enough housing in Nome becomes a problem for Anchorage, not having enough, enough mm-hmm. housing in Utkiavik, not having enough housing, um, you know, throughout the state, 
can ultimately affect what's happening in our city. And so we need to be incentivizing construction there. We need to figure out ways. Um, and, and you know, and this is something where, where Dave Bronson and I can agree. In your interview, he talked about Title I and Title 23 constraining um, how people can build on their own property. And I definitely think there's room for deregulation to be able to construct different types of structures. I mean, these, these ADUs have become a big, oh, yeah. Units have become oh, yeah. a big thing. And um, so uh, in that regard, I, I mean, there's concerns that we have certain, you know, we had a big earthquake in 2018 and, you know, no one died. Like part of that is because we have a good building code. So I'm not saying we should make our buildings less safe, but I think that there's definitely room to build triplexes and, and explore different types of, of housing options in the city that are, are right now being constrained. Well, I mean, so much of this is zoning related. You know, a lot of people, mm-hmm. they want it to be a single family home. And mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, to be be honest, we, we need to build higher structures yeah. and we need to build multi-use, but you know, like apartments or condos or I'm with I mean, you. I'm, I just still can't, I've talked about this before. I still can't believe that, um, sea galley gets, you know, torn down. Yeah. I'm thinking, how about two big high rise condo buildings right mm-hmm. there? It's a fucking car wash. Mm-hmm. How many car washes do we have in this city? I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot, but there's not enough housing. So, um, yeah. So I, I was going to say, I, I pictured you, I would have for sure thought you were going to run for the assembly. Right. But now, well, now here you are running for the legislature. So talk about, and I think part of that is Ivy's finals isn't running. Yeah. So, there, there, was so yeah, there was redistricting. And I mean, you know, it was redistricting that, that up until the last minute, I mean, you, you've you covered it. You've talked about it. I covered it on my podcast, uh, a lot to do with redistricting. I was following it very closely. Um, we didn't know what how things were going to play out we didn't know what the final map was he kind of had an idea for the house district the houses were pretty pretty they were pretty solid but you know there was a lot of talk about the senate and what was going to happen there um and anyway i didn't know that i was going to be in an open house seat until everyone knew well because ivy didn't say she wasn't running until right the filing deadline was june 1st and i mean i feel like she it was like May, I think, when she said she wasn't running for re-election. It was oh yeah, it was no, very no, it close was like to the, ten days before. It was very close to the before. deadline. It was very close to the deadline. So, so it was a lot of soul searching, talking with my family, um, feeling like um, an opportunity had presented itself. Were, were you in her old district? I was not. I was in Andy Josephson's. Yeah, because now he got moved to mine, mm-hmm. which he he only retained a very small percentage of his old district. Um, I, I feel like. I'm almost always knocking on Andy Josephson's door. Like, you know, somebody, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I say Ivy Sponholtz and, and they'll get that sort of look in their eye. And I'm like, or maybe your representative was Andy Josephson. So I have to pivot. I mean, some of these districts have tr- changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, some, you know, not as much, but like, like Tuck's district where I live, he retained basically most of mm-hmm. his old district, um, the, the majority of it. But then Josephson, a sliver of his got, he got paired with Tuck and he basically only retained like one or two of his old precincts. So he's, he's going into an area where nobody really mm-hmm. knows who he is. And same with some of these East Anchorage. I mean, there's an open East Anchorage seat that has no, that's the, um, which one is that? The Stanley Wright one, I think he's running for the, and Ted, Ted Ishide. Mm-hmm. And then there's, Ishide. there's, and there's Ivy's the one you're in. And there's Liz Snyder, who's also not running. Right. Um, so, so did you like, did, cause there was some talk that Ivy might run for the Senate. So, I think people were thinking, Oh, it might be an open seat anyways, because some people thought Ivy was going to run right. for but the I, Senate. I, I, had an eye on it, but you know, I, I'm a first time candidate. I, I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't know how things worked. I, I'm fairly new to politics. So you, you, you I'm going to ask you, you questions. Well, hold, Jeff. You, you got me on the, uh, 
It says in the Constitution, I yeah, texted you, I said, hey, because it says you can't have a, a position of profit. So I was kind of worried. I was like, I don't know, you're in the guard. Yeah, you so know. you were texting me during this whole period. So really, you know exactly and, and, and how Dun- this all happened. Dunbar, <laughs> Dun- Dunbar, yeah. Dunbar, too, I thought, man, you guys, are you can't be in the guard. But then you... You you dropped some knowledge on me and sent me back like a yeah. constitutional some 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 amendment or some some article where it's like it's a carve out for guard, the military guard, yeah. guard doesn't apply, mm-hmm. this doesn't apply to national guard or mm-hmm. military mm-hmm. so I was like oh damn yeah so I actually brought a book with me that I want to recommend to your podcast what you got? well to your book club I guess uh, never split the difference by Chris Voss it's a, a former FBI hostage negotiator. Um, I'm Never. not giving it to you. I'm just passing it over to you. I'm, I'm taking a look at because it. Because I haven't quite finished it. But the bottom line is, is that this is a FBI hostage negotiator who's basically telling you how to negotiate with anyone. And what's most interesting about it is that he makes a very big point about empathy and um, about being able to put yourself in your uh, opponent or the person you're negotiating with, their shoes, to understand what it is that they want and why. Because that's going to help you make your case. And um, he uses it as an example, I actually had it marked, where um, Hillary Clinton actually made a comment about having to respect your enemy um, and, and as best you can understand where they're coming from. And they talked about how she got ripped apart in the media because they were like, oh my God, she's siding with the Muslim Brotherhood. And then this guy <laughs> basically was like, yeah, so she got in a lot of trouble. They said she'd never be able to run for president after saying that. But what she was saying was correct, that if you want to negotiate and win, if you want to get what you want, then you need to put yourself in the shoes of the other side. Well, I, mean, I mean, the best military tacticians and generals throughout history have always said they, they need to think like their opponent, their enemy. They mm-hmm. need to know their enemy. Right. right? And so to- I, I just want to, so I want to, I want to hearken back to when we talked about, um, you know, your interview with Mayor Bronson talking about um, enemies who have different worldviews. I mean, th- those enemies are his constituents. And so I think that there's an argument to be made that, that he needs to put himself in the shoes of those who, he believes have a different worldview and sort of th- see things from their view to get a better handle of where we're coming from. Uh, I, as I've said already, because I come from this conservative Republican evangelical Christian family, I mean, I think I, I kind of do it naturally. I mean, I, I talk to my mom every day um, and I have to think about why she's, saying what she's saying and where she's coming from. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I say I'm a center-right person, but my, my dad's 25 years in the Navy, mm-hmm. Vietnam era, you know, almost 80. Mm-hmm. You know, very, very, I mean, ex, ex, same with my mom's, you know, 72. Like, they're very conservative. And um, sometimes you have to kind of, like, step back and think, like, what, you know, they, like, they have a different worldview. They have different experiences. They have, thing, you know, reasons for believing these things. Sometimes it's frustrating. You have to kind of have, it's like hard to talk about it or to to argue, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's. uh, Well, and that was kind of what I was trying to do with Dan Fagan. I was trying to get him to see it from my perspective. Um, And, you know, I don't know. I'm sure he went back to his usual thing the next day, but I felt like during that time um, that we were simpatico and, and I've talked about it before. I felt that way with Jamie Allard before I've been able to have a conversation with her. I mean, I, um, by the way, I really hope you guys are, or if you both win, which I think you both will, I hope you guys sit next to each other in the legislature. I mean, that would be amazing. 
I, there are many, we disagree about just about everything. Um, but I, I would definitely have a conversation. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I would be on speaking terms with anyone that I'm working with. I I can have a conversation with anybody. There was a, maybe a year ago, not quite. And you had got up and Mm -hmm. you had talked, addressed Jamie Allard and and you had talked about the masking and, and, I was like, oh, here we go. But then you, you actually said you agreed with, like she was right. even caught off guard by it because you said you agreed with her on some something with the masks. I'm yeah, like, that was ha- having to do with the trucking rally. Um, but what I was trying to prove in that is that I was saying that it's very, very difficult. It takes a lot of courage to get go against your own side. And so I felt like if I wanted to ask her to go against her own side, I needed to go against my own side. So that's what I did. Which is, which is um, hard for both sides, but I mean... On, and I've seen this before, like when you're on the left, when you're a progressive mm-hmm. and you go against, I mean, they're pretty fucking vicious. I mean, I've seen mm-hmm. it happen to my friend Libby Bacalar recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if you're, you know, if you go against the grain, that's why so many of my, so many of my progressive friends will tell me quietly, like, oh man, some of this shit is so crazy. Fuck it. I can't even deal with it. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want, you know, and like, they'll tell me things privately. And I'm like, you should say that. And they're like, are you fucking, no way. I'll never say that because I don't want to be the bear the brunt of the attacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the conservative, they have their problems too. I mean, if you go against them, they get angry and they you know shun you. But the, the progressive, man, it's just such a... I think of, I feel um, my age a lot, you know? I mean, uh, I'm at the age, I'm 10 years older than you. So I think once you get into your late 40s, all of a sudden you really just, you just aren't a young person anymore. And so I think I'm often conscious that um, I, I'm no longer young and I feel like... Um, that especially on social media, TikTok and that sort of stuff that, um, that I maybe am like a fossil to them. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. Hey, you know what? I'm also reading Ernest Greening's uh, autobiography. It's called, um, that'd be, that'd be interesting. But... It's called mini battles, but I, I, I thought you would be interested in this because, uh, his, uh, Wikipedia page has, um, you know, they, they have like, like your Senate, like when they're a Senator, like who you, um, preceded and who succeeded you. Mm-hmm. Um, so just look at who preceded and succeeded. Who so succeeded would have been, uh, would, would have been, um, uh, Mike Gravel, right? Yes, yeah. you're right. It's Mike Gravel, but look who, but look, proceed, it, it, just to look at that, like the whole thing. Succeeded by himself. <laughs> Oh, because of the, yeah. Because because of the territorial legislature. But I just thought, like, that's such an interesting um, Wikipedia entry. You know, you talk a lot about um, going to extremes and Mike Gordon and how you think you should have been. I feel like I was born in the wrong area. Right. So I feel like maybe I was supposed to be in the 50s in Alaska. I, I, Ernest Greening. See, I'm 70s. Ernest Greening, you know, um, territorial governor, um, first senator um, from Alaska. He um, very, very progressive, very uh, progressive, yeah. but he was also the editor of the nation in, in the early twenties. And his major writer was Lewis Fisher, who is Victor Fisher's father. Oh, wow. um, Lewis Fisher wrote the life of Mahatma Gandhi, which was made into the film with Ben Kingsley. And he, great, great, great film, by the way. Uh, and he won uh, the national book award for his uh, biography of Vladimir Lenin. I mean, it's just such a crazy thing that Greening was like, you know, helping out Louis Fisher and then Louis Fisher's son who was stuck in Russia, Uh you know, Stalin's Russia, you know, um, ends up 
you know, yeah, Vic, Vic's got a very interesting history too. Really yeah. Well, you know, so on a podcast, like I, I interviewed him twice and, um, when I was editing the episode about him escaping from Nazi Germany under Hitler and, um, you know, growing up in Moscow without his dad, with just his Russian mom and his best friend's father being executed and spending the night at his house that night, like sleeping next to his bed when they were in high school. I mean, that story, I mean, I, as I was doing it, I was like, I'm never going to edit something this important. Like the fact that there's somebody alive who yeah. lived, you know, escaped from Berlin, also escaped make- from Nazi Germany, like lived in Stalin's Russia. And then, and then you know, the, the craziest part of all is that Louis Fisher dated Svetlana Alelueva, dated Stalin's daughter. He had an affair with Stalin's daughter. Oh, she, she was like big and she was like kind of a novelty in this country. Yeah. She came over, yeah. Yeah. But all of that. You, and, know, you know, Stalin's and, granddaughter still... Lives and she's kind of some like punk hipster. Oh, really? In Portland. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, kind of, it's kind of funny that she's still around. But yeah, but, but there's all that, all that. And then you have Vic Fisher, you know, driving to Alaska in 1950, uh, getting elected to the t- territorial legislature. And then out, he outlawed the death penalty at like in one of the, like that was in, in the early years. And um, it's still outlawed. Yeah, like a story like Vic Fisher makes you kind of appreciate and realize that, you know, our problems today aren't nearly as. Oh yeah. Well, whenever them. people talk about uh, about that stuff, you know, you think about like Joseph McCarthy and the Red Scare, and and then even just the '60s, just you know the execution, you know the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Edgar Evers, uh, Robert Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have, we haven't had assassinations like that. I mean, I, I think things are pretty, pretty, pretty bad right now in this country, but they aren't nearly. Um, as bad as some some people, you know, think life's so hard. All these, you know, all these problems. You know, the victim. Like we're we're, we're in a, you know, as bad as things are, we're, we're in a much better position than place and you know, things were in the '60s or in the '40s oh, yeah. or you know, think about World War II and Vietnam mm-hmm. and all this mm-hmm. stuff you're talking about. So, and, and I gotta thank you before we get off. I just want to say, you know, your 270 plus podcast episodes. Like I've listened to so many. I've listened to so many in the last year because it's been like the education for me. Like, and, and the thing is that now I need to go back and re-listen to them again because I've developed hooks to hang some of the information on for some of the people. You know, it's funny. I do these podcasts all the time and then I go back once, like when my friend Chris Birch died a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, I did one with him and mm-hmm. I went back and listened to it. Um, and then other ones I'll go back sometimes and I totally, for, I mean, you do these too. You yeah. totally forget, oh, what, you you forget what you talked about. You, you I mean, learn from yourself. You're like, I didn't even, I did, cause you don't remember saying that stuff. Jo- I listened to your Johnny Ellis podcast multiple times. Oh yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. And the thing is, it doesn't back. even matter the content. It's just listening to that, uh, podcast episode. You, you feel his energy, his personality. Well, it's, it's, it's a little bit sad. Like he died. Chris Birch died. Uh, Gary Knopp died. I mean, I've done several of these where people have died. Don Young. Don Young. Um, I've done a, did a couple with him. So it's, it's, it's kind of like wake well, up, wake up call where you're like, wait a minute. Like, you know, these people, it's the last time maybe they're going to, you know, have, have that kind of forever for people to go back and listen to. Well, in preparation for my interview with the day, today, I listened to your interview with Ivy Sponholtz and your interview with Andy Josephson, which I am embarrassed to say if I listened to them, I couldn't remember them because I feel like I learned so much. Um, well, and those were, I, Ivy was probably 2019. That was a. Ivy's was 2019, but she talked about uh, getting the phone call, finding out that, because, um, you know, Walker appointed her. Yeah, that's when uh, Max Grunberg had um, died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, 
that whole story of getting the call on Monday night, having to be in Juneau by Thursday morning, getting sworn in at 7.45 in the morning. It was um, the operating budget. They were She was there till three in the morning. She had to borrow someone's truck to drive herself where she didn't know where she was going. You know, th- yeah, no, that whole crazy, story, it's, crazy it's story. crazy. Like, like her life was one thing at the beginning of the week and then completely different a few days later. So I want to, we only got a few minutes left here, but I want to talk about the results of the primary, which didn't mm-hmm. really matter that much because it's mm-hmm. four of you. But you got in the primary 52.2%, mm-hmm. um, where Paul Bauer, he's run before Republican, he was in the assembly a long time ago, 36%. And then Scott Colas, Libertarian, 5.7%. And then Jordan Hurray, Republican, 5.3%. So, I mean, there's going to be more turnout. I mean, you get a 27% turnout in your district compared to, a th- I think, 36 statewide. So it's going to be higher. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your district, the breakdown, you're basically in a really good position to likely win in the first round. Right. Um, I'm not taking anything for granted, though. I'm still door knocking. We're trying to, uh, you know, send out our mailers and make voter contact and do our best. I mean, that, what's your advice? Because you ran for Senate in 2012. I've lost both times. I ran, I ran three. Well, I dropped out once. But Then tell me what not to do, Jeff. You know, I, it's just a lot of it's kind of. I mean, you're 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 lucky. You're in a good spot. I mean, you're you're mm. you're you know, people know you. You're getting you're getting support. You you kind of have built up a little bit. Of, you built up kind of a coalition, and you know, you're in a Demo- you're a Democrat running in a Democratic district. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I am you know, I mean, the advice is don't run against very powerful wealthy people that because I ran against Lisa McGuire. Mm. She was a very entrenched you know incumbent that had been there for a long time, and I got actually got pretty close. I got I think forty almost forty five percent in the primary, and then you know. Four years later, I ran against Von Imhoff, who's a Rasmussen. Who, so my advice is don't run against, like, very wealthy, powerful incumbents who are very rich. And thank so. you for access to Campbell Lake. Speaking of... Well, it's not really that access. I mean... Well, no, but you that was a good story. That yeah, was a and, really good and, story. Me and Paxson worked pretty hard mm-hmm. on that one. But, I mean, it's still not... If you get in the legislature, maybe you can get some little bit of money appropriated to mm-hmm. build, a, build a damn public access trail because mm-hmm. they've still... Even though they've acknowledged it's public, the city and the state, they have done nothing to help facil- people get facilitate there. public access. Okay. But it, you know, you can use it, and there's easements, but it does feel like kind of trespassing because it's still somebody's backyard. And mm-hmm. but you know, it's um. What I was going to ask you is if you if you win, I mean, are you? And I don't want to have you divulge any like two private conversations, but I mean, I just did for my political report. We analyzed kind of the house where it's going to be next year, and it's either going to be a very narrow coalition or a very narrow Republican majority, depending on. The outcome of I think three races: the uh, Wolf Mears race, the mm-hmm. Nasheed uh, Wright race, and then the Josephson Hensley race. The ra- results mm-hmm. of those three races, because I think the other ones are basically decided. I mean, there could be some upsets that that might happen, but you know, I mean, it's very. Ted Ishide. Is it is it a sheed? Ishide. Ishide. I thought it was a sheed. No. Ishide. Uh huh. Thank God he's not running as a write-in. Jesus. <laughs> so those are the three races: Ishide, mm-hmm. um, uh, Wright. Mm-hmm. And then Mears Wolf, and then Josephson Hensley. So you know you got Democrats, Republicans. Right. Um, but are you? I mean, I'm sure I'm because I've run before in mm-hmm. 2020. I ended up dropping out, but for a minute there, I was kind of in the window where Von Imhoff was almost losing the primary. She was loose. She lost the primary on, on the election night. There was this other other kind of crazy guy who, if he would have won, he was like Q and you know I thought George Floyd wasn't real. Mm-hmm. This Democrat who was just like totally unqualified. Um, so for a minute there, I was like getting all the calls and I could, the curtain was kind of unveiled, right? Like mm-hmm. how this works, how organization works. So, I mean, are you talking to people yet or are you, are you just focusing on your race? I'm or, focusing or on my race. people calling you and saying, Hey, Andrew, you know, we'd love to I'm have you in our group or we'd love to have you on our call, right? I'm focusing on my race. That's a, that's a good, that's a, I think the best advice I ever got by somebody mm-hmm. is, is, um, if you haven't won, you know, you can't, you haven't won, 
but never um, agree to anything you're not willing to agree to and never um, offer anything you're not willing to take. Because mm-hmm. this is what happens. You know, you start to, once it gets there and after the election, people want to be mm-hmm. different position speaker. They want to be chair of something. They want to be in a, you know, they maybe they want to be in either group. They don't know which group mm-hmm. they want to be and they can leverage that. But, you, you know, you never, never take some, never offer something. What, what, what is that? Never, never agree to something you don't, you, you, you won't, you know, don't want because mm-hmm. once you agree, if you that's a problem in politics and life in general, everything. If you start making deals and then you re- you welch, mm-hmm. then nobody wants to deal with you. Yeah, no. Someone's giving me that advice. I I got advice from a, a constituent actually, who said, "Don't be afraid to um to sit on your hands and and just watch." And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like in other words, like that you can get. Uh, really excited about wanting to do a lot of stuff and people will promise you things. They'll say like, you know, if you support me on this, then I'll support your bill later. And then like, and you know, it's going to be the end of session and your bills never come up and you voted for a bunch of stuff that you didn't really want to vote for. Two, two, two other things I, I was, mm-hmm. I learned. Um, one was a piece of advice by a, a former, very successful politician. Um, when you're in politics or, or complete business or anything, mm-hmm. never, never ask for too much mm-hmm. because when you, when you ask for too much, even if you're in the position to get it, if you're in a very leveraged position, when you ask for too much, and even if you get it, people resent you. When you ask for like a little bit, when you just want a few things or one thing, then people people respect that and they know you're reasonable and they know you're not going to kind of, you know, when you when you have a position of leverage, you're not going to screw them. Well, that's not what the FBI hostage negotiator would say. Really? I mean, because you can have an anchor offer. Like you can ask for something that you know you're not going to get to anchor the negotiation in a different direction. I, I'm saying when you're in a position, right. when you're like, if, mm-hmm. I, if, we're, if we're negotiating and, mm-hmm. and I'm in a good position and mm-hmm. I say, Andrew, I want this, right? And, and you're even, and it's, it's, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's something you maybe have to give me because, you know, to make, to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Now in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Next time, all of a sudden, maybe I need, you, and, you know, it's reversed. And then you're going to say, you know what? You screwed me two years ago. You were in a position. Yeah. And if you, if you ask for a little bit, not too much, People mm-hmm. remember that stuff. That's true. And you know, and, and, and one thing I'll say about uh, about a hostage negotiator is that he doesn't have to ever negotiate with those people again. This, this so is the difference. That's yeah. a big difference. This is like, so, think about long game, you know, two, yeah. two years, five years, 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. And this is how the very successful people advance mm-hmm. because they don't make any huge enemies. I mean, everybody always gets mad about something. Mm-hmm. But when you, when, you, when you really kind of leverage and take as much as you can get out of a deal, out of, out of, out of some negotiation. People remember. People remember that. Mm-hmm. And that's good advice. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, no, great, great, great. I've been trying to get you on forever. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we're finally doing it. Thank and, you. And for the fo- for the folks listening, you can East yes. Anchorage Book Club. You're still doing that. East Anchorage Book Club is still a podcast, and um, yeah, um, AndrewGrayAK.com is my uh, campaign. And we got about two 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 months left till the uh, till the two general. Mo- yep, two months. And if you win the first round, we'll know on the election that otherwise we got to do this ranked choice thing. And yeah. It'll be a few weeks. Well, anyways, Andrew Gray yeah. running for uh, House District 20, right? House District 20, kind of UMED District. UMED East Anchorage mm-hmm. area. So yep. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have you on again, and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.